you have simultaneous affliction of yang meridian systems and yin meridian systems at the same time. So the idea is that this disease right away uh, has complexity involved. It's more than just one meridian system, usually two or three uh, that are there at the same time. And there are these different combinations and they call hebing and bingbing and yanggang. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. We're living through an extraordinary moment, a moment that shows our similarities to us more than our differences, a moment that connects us in our shared sense of bewilderment as the veil of stability and trust in a world that we think we understand is torn from us. The usual differences we cotton to, the way we divide ourselves into us and them, they're evaporating. Perhaps in this moment, more than any other I can recall in my lifetime, it's easier to recognize how the profound feeling of uncertainty is not just mine, but shared by hundreds of millions of others. That there is a lot that we as humans disagree with each other about, but in the presence of a common threat like the coronavirus, perhaps, maybe, we have an opportunity to awaken to how interdependent and connected we all are. For me, the uncertainty and the feeling of vulnerability has at times been liberating, and at other times, a terrifying reminder that the world as I imagine it is a construct in my mind. And the reality of not being able to put my hands on people to do my livelihood, it leads me to ask uncomfortable questions like, what is it I do when I don't have my kit of tools? And just what is the essence of my work? These seem like uncomfortable and vital questions for which I don't yet have an answer. I'm doing my best at this moment, as I suspect you are as well, of living into those questions. And at times when my conscious mind is out of methods, tricks, or solutions, when I hit one of those moments where I can't think my way out of the situation at hand, I tend to turn to poetry or art or nature. David White's musings and consolations has helped me in the past to steer when there's no shore in view. At this unusual moment we share as a common human family, I find Mr. White's musings into vulnerability to give me something to navigate by. Vulnerability, it's not a weakness, a passing indisposition, or something we can arrange to do without. Vulnerability is not a choice. Vulnerability is the underlying, ever-present, and abiding undercurrent of our natural state. To run from vulnerability is to run from the essence of our nature. The attempt to be invulnerable is the vain attempt to become something we are not, and most especially, to close off our understanding of the grief of others. More seriously, in refusing our vulnerability, we refuse to ask for the help needed at every turn of our existence and to mobilize the essential, tidal, and conversational foundations of our identity. To have a temporary, isolated sense of power over all events and circumstances is a lovely, illusionary privilege. And perhaps the prime, beautifully constructed conceit of being human. And most especially, of being youthfully human. But it is a privilege that must be surrendered with that same youth, with ill health, with accident, with the loss of loved ones who do not share our untouchable powers. Powers eventually, and most emphatically, given up as we approach our last breath. The only choice we have as we mature 
is how we inhabit our vulnerability and how we become larger and more courageous and more compassionate through our intimacy with disappearance. Our choices to inhabit vulnerability as generous citizens of loss, robustly and fully, or conversely as misers and complainers, reluctant and fearful, always at the gates of existence, but never bravely and completely attempting to enter, never wanting to risk ourselves, never fully walking through that door. When life is unfolding normally, we have a production process and schedule here at Geological. But given the fluidity, disruption, and opportunity of our lives at this moment, I'm either adding some extra conversations that I think will be of help to you, or changing up the production schedule so as to bring you discussions that are pertinent to this moment. Last week, I had an opportunity to sit down with Heiner Fruhoff and discuss the use of Chinese medicine in response to the coronavirus in China. In this conversation, we focus on what he's getting from his friend and colleague, Liu Li Hong, who has been in Wuhan for the past couple of months. Dr. Liu is the author of Sikhao Zongyi, Considering Chinese Medicine, which was recently translated into English under the title Classical Chinese Medicine. Dr. Liu is one of the modern experts of the Shanghan Lun, and he's not just applying this theory from a distance. He's in the hospitals in the midst of the epidemic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. 
learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code CHEOLOGICAL at the time of sign-up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. We'll be getting into this in a moment. One more thing before we get into this, I want to apologize for the sound quality on my side of the conversation. This is a really good reason why whenever you're doing anything on the internet that might require decent sound, you never want to use the microphone that's in your computer. I should have checked my sound settings a little bit more carefully. I accidentally recorded this through the computer. So it's not going to be the usual sound quality. There's not much I can do about it at this point, except to say in the future, I will be more careful and triple check those settings. Okay, let's get into this conversation on methods and approaches to treating the coronavirus. Peter Fruhoff, welcome to Geological. Thank you so much. Delighted to have you here today. I, you know, I, I've been wanting to talk with you for a while, and and I, in some ways, I wish we were speaking in in different set of circumstances than here in uh, really kind of the beginning of the COVID nineteen as it's as it's beginning to sort of burn through America. And I know that you have been in touch with uh, Liu Li Hong in China throughout this or some articles that you've written and uh, you know you have a lot of experience with herbs so I'm delighted to, to have this opportunity to explore a bit this very emergent situation that we're all facing right now with the uh, coronavirus and to get your thoughts on it yes thanks for having me Michael yeah so I think a lot of us have read this uh, report from the frontline in Wuhan something generously that you shared on your website and has, you know, been making the rounds. Uh, I'm curious, uh, is this something that was published in China or is this some correspondence that you've had with Dr. Leo? I'm I'm curious to know uh, where the report comes from. Uh, My friend and colleague, Dr. Liu Liu Hong, is now Professor Emeritus, retired from his job at Guangxi University of TCM. 
and he is the founder of a very large or perhaps the largest uh, postgraduate continuing education platform in China. And so he is there with a, th uh, with a treatment team, three people from his organization. Uh, he lives in Dali now, but he is in Wuhan and has been there for months now, uh, basically stuck there uh, since they don't still not letting anybody in or out. And this article uh, was a blog post that he is written to uh, the members of his organization, like probably 50,000 people or so around China and in the uh, Chinese expat community around the world. And I'm presently translating his update. He just two days ago gave a, a two-hour video lecture to uh, his former colleagues at Chengdu University of TCM to follow up on this more brief summary uh, that we've already translated from three weeks ago. Great. It's, it's wonderful to have these kinds of resources available. It, it's amazing here in 2020 that we have these fantastic ways of being connected with each other so that you can get blog posts, we can get videos. I spoke with a doctor in Chengdu a few weeks ago, and they'd been doing a lot of telemedicine via WeChat. And there's just all these different avenues that we have of being connected and and bringing Chinese medicine, bringing, you know, like the ancient and effective methods of Chinese medicine into the modern world at the same time. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. Yes, indeed. At the same time, Dr. Liu was saying, you know, not ruefully so, but uh, he said, you know, being there in person with people people who've actually diagnosed with having that disease in the ward uh, was still a somewhat different than him from, from home diagnosing people through the internet who thought maybe I have it, maybe I don't have it. Uh, so he feels more confident now that he uh, is in contact with uh, people who actually confirmed to have this disease and were in front of him. He sees uh, this medicine then really working. So that was sort of the, the gist of his latest message. Yeah. I've got a, a couple of questions I'd like to get into from having read the article. And uh, there's two, well, there's a, excuse me, there's a lot that got my attention. But the, the two things that really got my attention initially, you talk about that there's a couple of presentations that can happen. There's hubbing, which is a complex, you call a complexity syndrome. It, it sounds to me it, like, um, like two kinds of illness, maybe there's already an internal comorbidity, and then and then then something external, um, and then you talk about liangan, and and which is like two. Well, I'm I'm curious to get your take on that. What these two things are, and how we might see this in our practice or in the people that we're seeing um, here in the West. Uh, yeah, that is a you know at this point, of course, uh, for me mostly a theoretical question since I'm still in the middle of translating his follow-up article. But uh, the he himself said he, he is, of course, in the meantime, sort of the the lead Shanghai researcher in China and has been asked by the government as putting out like the Zhonghua Dadian, the great encyclopedia of all uh, ancient Chinese sciences and. He has been asked to uh, do the Shanghai Lun entry, uh, and he said he was uh, somewhat shameful when he got there. He said, "I, I, I really 
there were certain chapters in the Shanghai Lun I never looked at before and never fully understood until I saw patients with this disease. And that is particularly the introductory chapters in the Shanghai Lun that precede the Taiyang chapter, where there is this explication that of these three terms, he bing, um, bing bing and liang gan. And he bing, um, and that was difficult for me to translate because they all sort of mean the same thing. Namely, instead of having this neat thing that we learn in school, that first the disease goes into the Taiyang, then goes deeper into the Yangming, and then goes deeper into the Shaoyang, and then finally goes into the Yin uh, organ systems. He says, because in a certain way, the discourse on disorders caused by cold, when we read the preface to the Shanghai Lun, we see that it really should be translated as discourse on not just diseases, but epidemic disease caused by cold influences. And so Zhang Zhongjing uh, points out right at the beginning of the book that in an epidemic circumstance, there is a very good possibility that there won't be this um, neat development progression of the disease, but that right away, not just the upper respiratory tract, for instance, will be afflicted, but the lower disease will go straight to the lower respiratory tract. But people go in, for instance, they have a little bit of snuffle in the nose, but then you take a x-ray and you already see lesions in the lung, even though they're not even coughing. So that is would be a hebing, uh, according to Dr. Liu's definition, how he understands that, that instead of going from the Taiyang and the Taiyang is finished, then going forward to the Yangming, right away the Taiyang and the Yangming or Taiyang, Yangming and Shaoyang, all three of them are simultaneously afflicted right from the get-go. And that would be called uh, hebing, uh, what I've chosen to translate as um, complexity syndrome. Mm -hmm. Then the Bing Bing would be the simultaneous uh, disease would be instead of having Tai Yang and then being finished, moving forward to Yangming or Shaoyang, is the Tai Yang lingers, but you take on also Yangming disease symptoms. And now you also have a complex situation, but it's in temporal sequence. Um, when the normal Shang'an Lun progression is you're done with the Taiyang, now it's a Yangming and a Yangming alone. And finally, the Liangan, the dual affliction syndrome. And that is the piece that uh, I haven't arrived yet. It's like a 20-page uh, translation with basically listening to the audio tape and then every three seconds stopping and writing and then going back, make sure you got it right. Uh, so almost finished, but the, the, my understanding so far is that this is uh, the dual affliction syndrome is you have simultaneous affliction of yang meridian systems and yin meridian systems at the same time. So the idea is that this disease right away uh, has complexity involved. It's more than just one meridian system, usually two or three. Uh, that are there at the same time. And there are these different combinations and they call hebing and bingbing and liangkan. Okay, that's really 
helpful in my thinking because it really does seem with this one that there could be a Taiyang aspect of it. And at the same time, almost simultaneous, like you were saying, even though they've just got some sniffles, the lungs are already filling up with fluid. And so you've got a Taiyang and Taiyin happening almost simultaneously. Yeah, and he would call that uh, Taiyang Yangming affliction, where he counts the the lung metal as a as a Yangming Zhao Jin Yangming dry metal. Here, like he gives us the example of the typical Taiyang Yangming complexity syndrome, this remedy that in the number three, four, five, six, and now even seven government recommended. Uh, treatment uh, plan. One of the main remedies featuring prominently there is ma xing shi gan tang, the ephedra, apricot seed, gypsum, and licorice decoction, and he calls that a typical remedy for taiyang, yangming complexity syndrome. Also, those people who then right away get diarrhea or bloating and constipation, nausea. He also counts that as infection of the lung on a deeper level, as well as uh, digestive symptoms. Uh, that to him is all a Taiyang Yangming uh, complexity syndrome. This is, uh, well, medicine is just so interesting, right? <laughs> so I just want to make sure that I'm following and getting this right. This lung issue, I mean, when I think of lung, I think of Taiyin, and, and that just might be my way of, sim- you know, I have simple thinking around these things. It sounds like Dr. Liu is seeing the issue with the lung as as being an issue with metal. And metal also is associated through the large intestine with the yangming. Right. He primarily chooses the term yangming rather than taiyin here is because uh, taiyang is, of course, external cold and yangming is internal heat. So since the symptoms in the lung are not the typical chronic uh, emphysema, chronic bronchitis in the elderly, lingui jugantang-like simultaneous spleen qi or spleen yang deficiency mixed with lung yang deficiency uh, producing chronic damp, but it is a, you know, you've got external symptoms of external cold invasion at the surface, therefore Taiyang, and then you have internal heat symptoms either in the lung, uh, therefore the gypsum, the shigal, uh, or maybe other kinds of herbs of the nature clearing dryness and heat phlegm. So that's the key, this kind of heat in the lung and dryness in the lung, therefore using the term Yangming versus term Taiyin would imply that there is sort of a yang deficiency in the spleen and the lung, bringing about a fluid accumulation that needs to be addressed with uh, warming types of herbs, uh, which may be the case in that. So he would put that then into the Liangan category, where both yin and yang channels are afflicted at the same time, and therefore, maybe you might want to use Zhen Wutang or Lingui Zhugantang or Wulingsan, as they have also done in this government-recommended treatment approach that's all over the internet, at least in China. This is so interesting. Uh, looking at the lung here, I, I'm beginning to think, okay, there's, a, there's like a deficiency presentation, and that is where the lung itself would perhaps be involved. 
but this is mostly an external excess coming in. And so you've got the heat and the dryness, maybe with a strong lung, but you got the heat and the dryness, and that's what's causing the issue at this time. They didn't have underlying weakness with the lung. In that case, perhaps it would be a tie-in problem. But here, if it's just a, a like, let's just say a normal, healthy-ish person, this is the body's actual response to the pathogen. And so you've got this extra dryness and heat in the yangming, which is affecting the metal, which includes the lung. Yeah. In some of the, you know, Dr. Liu, of course, as being a Shanghai expert and enthusiast, he is exclusively looking at this um, disease through the uh, six confirmation uh, layer system from presented in the Shanghai Lun. Most of the literature coming out of China, they of course favor then the fever school approach where you have Wei Qi Ying so disease in the Wei layer, and then going deeper. So you have this also this concept that in the Shanghai Lun approach we call Taiyang Yangming dual or complexity syndrome with the internal heat being involved right away. And then, so they have remedies like these fever school remedies where you have this dryness and heat in the lung also being in, in that way layer syndrome and the qi layer syndrome, especially with the yin xiao san bai hu tang at the same time is sort of similar to the ma xin shi gan tang approach of the shanghan lun. But I think in the liang gan approach, the dual affliction syndrome, which I think is important with all of these cases we hear about in Italy and uh, with the older people, of course. So you've got people who are over 80, they're already, they've smoked their whole life, particularly the men in China and Italy. And then uh, they, they get this disease and it goes immediately to the lung. And of course, they're not only flares into heat, but then their, their spleen, lung and kidney yang deficiency that's constitutionally there gets triggered. And then Dr. Liu's mentor, Dr. Lu Chunghan, the fire spirit lineage holder, um, you know, basically then would say we have a Liangan situation where you also need to use aconite at the same time and making sure that their spirit and their kidney chi is not ex that there's some suctioning power in the battery left and we can't just batter these people with uh, diaphoretic herbs and with heat clearing herbs, we need to consolidate the battery power in the system so we're not dispersing something that's already uh, weak to begin with. This for me is one of the beauties, I mean, exquisite beauties of Chinese medicine. And one of the big frustrations with practicing Chinese medicine is that we can have a set of symptoms that looks basically the same. All right, there's some breathing difficulty, there's some fluid in the lung. And we can look at that and go, oh, all these people are having this. But one person, because it is a liang gan, and they actually, and they actually have some yang deficiency, and their lungs might already be weak, they're going to be treated differently. You need to take care of that underlying yang deficiency simultaneously as, as you're taking care of the surface. Whereas with these other people, again, same symptom picture with fluid in the lungs, but it's more this Taiyang Yangming. And, and with those, you would very strongly die for The symptom picture looks the same. 
But the person who's experiencing the illness, I mean, we say this all the time in Chinese medicine, we treat people, not treat illnesses. But I, I think it's very easy for us to look at the symptoms and go, oh, all these things match up. So it's that formula without recognizing, oh, am I looking at a a being, a bing bing, or the angkan? You know, these three different ways of assessing, is this person actually strong or are they weak? This is an excellent point, Michael. I am in Dr. Liu's. Dr. Liu is a Chinese medicine philosopher, really. That's You see that in his book, Sukao Zhongyi. And he, both in the book as well as in this audio lecture or video lecture in China that he just delivered basically to tens of thousands of people who Chinese medicine physicians themselves. He spends the first... 15 pages out of 40 or the first hour out of two, basically admonishing the colleagues in his own field and say, I'm right here at the front lines. And I can tell you unequivocally that my expectation that this medicine really works amazingly well is true. And I cannot understand why we have the statistics, at least in that profession in China, where 99% of graduates in the field, despite all of these, you know, 20,000 people in TCM universities, very often in the last year of university, people are already looking for another job or they, they keep looking because they lack the trust in this medicine. And so he basically says, the problem is that we look too much toward the definitions of Western medicine, that we hear it's the COVID-19, therefore we need to use this treatment protocol. And this is, of course, what's happened. In it's happening here as well. That is right. And, and the amazing thing, however, is, and we already have studies coming out, I can barely keep up with translating this uh, stuff. I'm uh, trying to continuously put stuff up on classicalchinesemedicine.org. But even if you use sort of a, using the same thing for most people, it's still much better than using nothing or is better than just using medicine, Western medicine by itself. Uh, we see that in the studies that come out of China or where entire hospitals in Wuhan chose to administer at the very least, very similar remedies to preventatively drink by their staff and then achieve the uh, kind of amazing phenomenon of Sanwu. They call it the three nothings, which is no infection of any of the staff, which is you have a hospital with uh, 606 people that all confirmed having the coronavirus and you have a staff of 210 or so, none of them getting infected. That is extraordinary. And then secondarily, no worsening of the, the symptoms. And number three, uh, meaning nobody of the patients got worse from that middle stage to the respirator stage. And then no, what they call fuyang, which means, which is a danger in this disease. You already go like, I have no more symptoms. I test negative. And then you leave the hospital or you stay for another two days just to be sure all of a sudden you start coughing again, test, test positive again. So they, they had this three nothings were no more positive tests. Uh, and that was achieved with relatively these simple measures. However, 
Dr. Liu, in contrast, says we still need to stick to our classical bread and butter, which is the bianzheng shizhi approach, which is differential diagnosis. I mean, it's the hallmark of Chinese medicine. Hallmark of Chinese medicine and says, uh, for us, it's not important whether it's a coronavirus or SARS or Ebola or something. The minute the patient has symptoms and we feel a pulse and we look at how old they are and we look at their tongue picture, um, we can treat. And so don't become paralyzed out of fear that this is a totally different disease and you cannot there's nothing you can do. He says this couldn't be farther from the truth. And uh, Chinese medicine in the past, basically, that's what they, that's all we had and it worked well. That's why there's so many classics exclusively covering epidemics in the history of Chinese medicine, starting with the Shanghanlun and even the Neijing itself has chapters on epidemics. I, I want to come back to this thing about differential diagnosis versus uh, like a protocolized way of working, because there, there, there's a bit of a contradiction in here, and I want to I circle back to this in a moment. But first, there was something that you had said earlier about Dr. Liu talking about the reportions of the Shanghan Lun, the reportions of it that he didn't really understand until he's there at this hospital, until he's in the midst of this epidemic, and he's actually treating people. And hearing you say that, oddly enough, gives me this, this like sense of optimism. And it gives me a sense of optimism because, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I read in Chinese medicine. I know I'm not alone. We read it and we go, what the hell are they talking about here? It just doesn't make sense. And, and for myself, I've often thought, well, I don't have enough experience. Maybe in five years I'll reread this and it will be helpful. Or maybe I'll be in clinic and, and something will click and I'll go, wait a minute. I think I read something somewhere. So there's this really interesting way that we in our practices interact with the tradition of the medicine itself. And so I'm, I'm actually quite heartened to hear that someone like Dr. Liu, with all the experience he has, can share with us that, oh, there's things that I'm learning because I'm here in the situation where I'm able to learn it now. I think that's really good news. I couldn't agree more. And I really appreciate that Dr. Liu, as being sort of the declared expert on the Shanghainlun, at least in China, that he is sort of using this very uh, posture of humility here and saying, look, it, it's, I thought I would did understand this book and have written about it extensively. Three quarters of his book, Classical Chinese Medicine, is basically a summary of his uh, own doctoral dissertation on the Shanghanlun that he wrote 20 or so years ago. But he said, it's, it's, I didn't understand at least these chapters and lots of places in the Neijing as well, until I saw patients that actually matched what these chapters were talking about. And that's why he always emphasizes. And that's why in the past, while he was still working at Guangxi University of TCM, he uh, fought hard to get government money to establish a so-called um, research institute for the research of clinic of Chinese medicine, classical Chinese medicine in the clinic, because he said just reading books and memorizing formulas, we don't know, you know, how we need to be able to apply these ancient principles and formulas to the modern context and very often we don't understand that context until we are in it. And uh, very often 
ancient China, uh, the things that got reported to us that were found worthwhile to actually write down on the very precious bamboo tablets and paper. They didn't have computers after all. People wouldn't just write down somebody has shoulder arm syndrome or so, but it was sort of like you made it alive through this epidemic of the, for instance, the bubonic plague or cholera. So you sit down and you write, you live to tell the tale, you sit down and write about this. And if you have never seen that, as Chinese medicine practitioners, hundreds of years later, some of these symptoms might appear exaggerated or we don't fully understand what they are talking about. So I, I absolutely concur. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Something else that we were talking about earlier is how so many students in China, they're getting to the end of their training as a Chinese medicine doctor. They're already looking for another job. And there's a lot of talk here in the West about people, they go to school and five years later, they're not practicing and the problems with this. And, and I know that I have heard from colleagues things about, well, you know, Chinese medicine doesn't treat, I'm using air quotes here, that referring to whatever it is. And, and it, it just seems to me that it's possible that there's a lot that Chinese medicine treats. It's just that we ourselves don't yet know how to use it or treat it in that way. It doesn't mean Chinese medicine can't do it, but it might mean that we can't do it. And so on, on one side, it's like we need to be able to cultivate that ability to be teachable and learnable from our clinical experience. And on the other side, I think there's a sense of just because something worked for one doctor at one time and it looks something like what we're facing, it doesn't mean that's the right formula because if we're not paying attention to the bing, bing ji, right, the, the illness mechanism, then it becomes very difficult to accurately prescribe a formula. This is precisely the meaning of uh, what Dr. Liu wants to drive home to these uh, colleagues, but also to the students, because at the very beginning, the, the first clinical experiences are extremely formative in nature and sometimes also traumatizing. So if you use some kind of uh, cookbook formula and it didn't work, then you say, you think in your heart that the entire system doesn't work when really uh, we don't technically have a standard of care 
other than that we should be doing bianzheng zhi, that everything is individualized and we can use uh, recommendations by other people as a kind of a reference tool, like the information that I'm trying to put out is by no means meant to, to be followed blindly. It's just that people have something as a reference and uh, is meant entirely for practitioners being trained to read what this means and not for the general public to kind of <laughs> fill their shelves with stuff that they don't need and don't know how to use or what may even be dangerous to use. The interesting thing in my translations of the Fever School documents is you know, that they say that this li qi, this pestilence qi, is uh, because in a certain way our medicine is uh, alchemy, right? So it means it's never the virus this or that determines what what we are using. In the end, it is always this external factor, whether it's an emotional trigger that makes us angry or whether it's a virus that makes us sick physically, that then meets our internal constitution and the two of them fuse. And that is what we then call the, the syndrome, right? This kind of fusion syndrome of these two things. And what I seen, uh, and I think the fever school got that right, when there is really is an epidemic, that that external influence is somehow more powerful. Mm -hmm. And that therefore, coronavirus or not, that in this extremely potent flu season right now, that's filled up the hospital with also non-corona symptoms that we don't really hear all that much about how many people have already died from just a regular influenza A and B types of pneumonia, is uh, that the symptom similarity is much more potent than in regular years. So we, in my own clinic, we constantly for the last, really not just last two weeks, but last two months have been prescribing rather similar remedies that are also different, uh, notably different from other types of flu seasons. And therefore, this entire thing seems to have a certain uh, characteristic attached to it. But within that, everything, of course, works much better. The more individualized the approach is, the better will be the clinical result, absolutely. I want to get back to this uh, seeming contradiction between, yes, we the individualized differential diagnosis allowing us to really understand our patients as a way of guiding us toward you know, accurate diagnosis and accurate treatment. We know that's powerful in Chinese medicine. At the same time, you were talking about a fairly protocolized formula that a hospital was using, and it helped a wide swath of people stay healthy that were doctors. So an apparent contradiction, but Chinese medicine is full of contradictions. Again, one of the delightful yeah. things about it and the real hair-tearing things about it. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think this is definitely, I like these conundrums in Chinese medicine because in the end, I always have to, because our initial tendency is that we want to, and this is of course what at least Western medicine as a whole profession does in China, where they have to deal with their patient's belief uh, or their potential taking of Chinese medicine, that they always dismiss Chinese medicine as something that is chaotic and inconsistent and doesn't fit into parameters that they would consider 
uh, scientific because of these uh, uh, contradictions that you just mentioned. But then we, if we think about this in, in detail, there is always a, a logical answer, I find. Like for this particular question, like so we have a particularly potent, virulent pathogen that is more uh, strong than the regular kind of flu virus. And at the moment when it's still knocking at the door, so it hasn't fully fused with our system, our Weichi is still fighting it off, then three quarters of our approach can be this, you know, retreating this pathogen rather than a diffusion result with our body. And so my personal experience so far, and of course I haven't had a single case there because I'm in the state of Oregon where uh, widespread testing opportunities weren't really available until really yesterday. And uh, you send people to get tested that very clearly have, uh, at the very least, pneumonia. And the doctor just tells them, stay home because, you you know, we don't have enough kits or you, you'd be uh, just inf- infected by people who actually have it and come to my office, et cetera, et cetera. However, uh, coronavirus or not, I can s- say that you know, the people we have seen here with these very severe types of pneumonia and right away this kind of wheezing, asthmatic breathing, uh, shortness of breath things, they had similar remedies. But I'm certain, and we see this also in the even the more TCM standardized literature coming out of Chinese hospitals, once it's really deep in the system and you have yin and yang channels involved at the same time and younger people, older people, children, then the wider differential diagnosis is so much more important. In the beginning, to somebody who's not sick, who just feels sort of a scratchy throat or they are been in contact with somebody prescribing something like Yin Xiao San or, you know, Jia Jia Su He Tang, these kinds of uh, goo formulas or, you know, where you have some anti-parasite, some anti-malarial kind of uh, anti-pathogenic, Guan Zhong, those kinds of herbs in it. They are not like Ma Huang and are immediately drying you out and and, uh, frittering your Zheng Qi away. Uh, so they can be very effective without doing any harm, regardless, uh, you know, particularly if you don't drink it like in large amounts. And then same thing, if you take into consideration what we have seen here, at least on the American uh, West Coast, is that a lot of people, coronavirus or not, they come down with Shaoyang symptoms. So you have this Taiyang, Yangming Shaoyang right away and so xiao chai hutang minor bupleurum decoction or other kinds of formulas like chai hu guizhe ganjiang tang or other kinds of patent remedies like east pearls or so have been useful for that but that's also a very unusual type of approach however we found that to be working for most patients even though they're constitutionally quite different uh, and then uh, that can help to resolve the issue in the early stages. But since we're not in the hospital, we don't 
now, you know, I'm an anticipating that if you were, uh, were people really in this respirator oxygen uh, needing stage, uh, then the much more differential diagnosis, once that that the li qi, that pestilence qi has fused deeply with the person's constitution, uh, would then come more to the fore. Yeah. It, I mean, it's so much harder to treat once it goes deeper into the body. It's, it's always yeah. better if we can just like brush it away from the surface. It's always better that way. And so, so if, I, if I'm understanding you correctly here, at a certain very surface level, some of these more protocolized formulas might be useful because it's just giving people a little extra ability to not have the pathogen continue to interact with them. Absolutely, or I should say yes and no. I mean, you sound like a Chinese medicine doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the to use to quote really all of my teachers when they are giving names of formulas that, uh, as suggestions. They don't really mean when they were teaching me in the past, and so when I give out suggestions, I'm doing that in the same manner. It is a fa rather than a fang, right? Great. A, a fa rather than a fang. So fa means a method and a fang means a prescription. Yeah. yeah. So if you say xiao chai ho tang, it simply means the xiaoyang is involved. So do something for the xiaoyang. Do something for the xiaoyang, even though normally people always just have taiyang problems, you know, and that's what you've seen during the last 15 years. But here right away, you know, reminding you as long as there's nausea, as long as this person has this kind of surface sensitivity, but it's not clearly just a cold. It's like you, you don't want hot. You also don't want cold. Uh, you nauseate. You have neck stiffness. You maybe have ear uh, side symptoms involved, etc. Think of the Shaoyang and think about always right away from the get-go asking the patient about that. And that what kind of formula you really end up using, even whether it's a Shanghai Lun remedy or later one, doesn't really matter so much as long as you keep this in mind that the Shaoyang from the get-go is a real possibility here. Because mm -hmm. you're seeing those particular pattern differentiations. It's showing up. You're actually seeing it. The person's reporting it, or you can feel it in the pulse or watch it in their behavior. Absolutely. So with that in mind, if, if we're thinking about fa, which makes a lot of sense, then sometimes even certain kinds of foods or maybe, so for example, someone's got a little bit of a chill, right? That's a Taiyang thing. I mean, they could just drink some ginger and hop in a sauna and sweat. And that would probably be helpful for them. Um, absolutely. That is that is true. That And that's the normal flu treatment um, that I also remember my parents were, in essence, uh, natural medicine trained MDs in Germany. And when I grew up in the 60s, I had a fever or, and I had a cold symptoms. My mom would put me under seven different covers. And then when I would break a sweat, she'd wipe me down with a cold cloth and it was basically a done. Here, honey, a, a little natural mahuang tongue without the mahuang. Absolutely. The problem here is with this disease that right away, 
And I think their Lüdehung's report, uh, the first one as well as the second one, is very useful uh, because it shows us that it's this disease, and I would include even because you know from our perspective. It's not just you got to wipe everything down and, oh, my God, I got this kind of a virus. The important thing for us is the chi. Uh, so that means even the regular influenza B patients and influenza A patients come in with similar symptoms and experience similar kind of severity because we are exposed to the same pestilence that to this chi that is in nature right now and that the Neijing describes extremely accurately in these chapters 69 to 74 about the Wu Yin Liu Qi were the extremity, the extremeness of this uh, particular 60-year cycle, end of one year going into the next year is being described where the winter was too warm really and now we're having a cold spring and the Neijing already said these are the typical preconditions for the development of, of an epidemic. And so that right from the get-go, we have this combination syndrome where at the very least Taiyang Yangming are involved. And very often I find Taiyang Yangming Xiaoyang. And that means then you've got to stay away from the sweating because that's Taiyang treatment only. And you kind of drive it deeper into the body. So it's interesting to me that you see the they were using because Western medicine idea is it's a virus. The most intense virus epidemic we've ever faced is uh, HIV. And so they used HIV drugs um, for that. And uh, that has failed. We already have a study out as of last week uh, with 200 cases out of China that that didn't do anything. And so now they're having these anti-malarial drugs. And that, of course, makes much more sense to us because we see so much Xiaoyang pathology and Xiao Chaiwutang and all these other ones, Chaihu Guizhi, Ganjiang Tang, etc., were basically ancient malarial epidemic remedies. And uh, however, once again, then people go and go like, oh, we should... Uh, take uh, everybody just take 30 grams of ching hao and we'll be fine liu liu hong there would also admonish people and say stick to your chinese medicine science bread and butter which is no matter what the disease will first be in the three young diseases and even if the xiaoyang is involved you need to have something that is tobiao that is using fragrant herbs that are releasing out or the word is out thrusting the surface so it's these kind of bland herbs like jinyinghua especially like chaihu uh, like lianxiao uh, that are not so super pungent like ginger or cinnamon uh, to protect the surface and so if we are using a taiyang approach for this complexity syndrome we might actually drive it uh, deeper into the body, number one. And if we right away, when we still have a hebing syndrome, meaning it's not a liangan, it's not a yin-yang combination syndrome, but it's a, co a complexity syndrome, we still need to make sure that we're not just clearing heat with what Western medicine would consider antiviral treatments like hu zhang, now talk talking in herbal terms, um, 
herbs that are used, for instance, also for Lyme disease and HIV in Japan, the Polygonatum cuspidatum hujang or qinghao, favorite herbs there, because they don't have any power to taobiao. They do not outthrust the surface. So you can add that in to kind of clear yangming and shaoyang heat, but it needs to be together with herbs like chaihu. So I would say uh, if people are looking for these quinolone uh, equivalent compounds that work for this disease, at least at the very beginning of the disease, don't make it don't make it qinghao or other kinds of uh, malar- anti-malarials, but make it chaihu as the anti-malarial, as at least one of the components of your herbal approach, which of course uh, needs to be and should be complex in nature rather than just having a monodirectional remedy. So just putting the exterior with simple Taiyang herbs might cause more damage. In this case. Yes, of course, if you don't have anything and you go in the sauna, that's not a problem whatsoever. But uh, once you already have a sore throat and you try and sweat yourself or take ginger tea, that possibly late. makes it worse. Yeah, Possibly too late. And of course, with sweating, you don't want to sweat too much, right? You don't want to deplete your fluids. There's also that aspect of protecting the yang qi that we have to attend to. Yes. Especially with something like this. Uh, one of the, I, I just want to pivot a little bit. I was just talking about the Shaoyang, so I'm thinking pivot. But when I want to talk a bit about not just this virus in terms of how it's interacting with our physical systems, which is already complex and fascinating and terrifying all at the same time, but the way that it is also interacting with us and we are interacting with it on the psycho-emotive social level. Because while not all of us have COVID running around in our mucous membranes, we all have COVID running around in our minds. And if you're connected to the internet or if you're connected to anyone who's connected to the internet, you're kind of infected. And so the panic, the fear, the deep, deep sense of uncertainty is, is unprecedented, at least in our lifetimes. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. This is, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I find that much more than the physicality of this virus and its existence on planet Earth, uh, the danger is this 100% infection of everybody who is uh, knows about this at the moment, including medical practitioners. So I find... The treatment of the mind is so important at the moment because, number one, of course, when the spirit is not settled, um, our immune system goes down and we're actually much more likely to get sick. We all know that. But then secondly, and I think this is why Liu Di Hong said, you know, I've been theoretically talking about the efficacy of this and I've been working in a hospital for many decades, really, but this is sort of a unique opportunity for me. I tried, even though people wouldn't let me, and I'm over 60 years old right now, I wanted to go to the front line to be able to speak confidently and to really, rather than just be in the speculative realm, to assure my colleagues and assure my patients, uh, not just I'm thinking that it is so, but to really know that it is so, that Western medicine, yes, 
is amazing and they've been working so hard and it's a you know this fine-tuned machinery with different shifts and anesthesiologists and people are dying and you are every five minute updating your treatment protocol have great respect for that of course he's speaking to tens of thousands of people including party secretaries so he he used like a good portion of his talk to kind of cover his uh, rear end from that perspective but he basically was saying look western medicine has nothing for this disease it doesn't know there is no vaccine uh, people say stay home instead of come in to get tested and uh, once people are in the hospital there really also isn't anything to do other than separating them and then putting them on oxygen and respirators later because these antiviral drugs they uh, from what he's seen in the hospital don't really work actually produce side effects after about 10 days. And then because you have nothing else, you keep giving that. But he says, I put in my first needle and the patient was so startled that it was such a big difference that it was opened up not only his lungs, but opened up our own doubts that this is a totally different disease. And uh, so he said, I'm speaking here to you to calm you guys down and say, we really have something. It would be unethical for us to not uh, do something for our patients uh, because this medicine is really working. And please don't be afraid to just use, whether it's online or in person or in whatever form, to just simply use your own normal discretionary procedure of you have the symptom, therefore, I'm going to give you this kind of a remedy rather than grasping at straws and just copying blindly something that you see somewhere online. And then he says it, it really works. And then at the same time, tell your patients. I myself had somebody yesterday on the telephone who was calling me from the emergency room in Seattle and was like completely freaked out and they of course, send her home because they said you have you have shortness of breath because you have an anxiety attack. Uh, by the most, you have some bronchitis, but this is actually dangerous for you to be here. You're already here for the third time. Go home. And then later in the day, that, that conversation continued once she was home. And the best medicine was just simply say, please calm down. Even if there is a problem, you know, we'll cross that threshold when it comes there. If you're really uh, getting uh, symptoms of infections, it's not like you just need to wait at home by yourself um, for the serious stage to come. Uh, we have something to offer there. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. 
These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yes, I think there's there's quite a bit that we can do. I mean, the serious stage, that's I mean, that's always the hardest. Of course, Western medicine with its, you know, rescuing methods, that you know, they get the limelight with that. But there's so much it seems to me that can be done between, oh, I'm feeling a tickle in my throat in the time where, oh, I need to be on a ventilator. Absolutely. There's room to maneuver in in those phases. And it it does seem like there's a lot that we could do. Again, if you're capable of using the medicine in the way that it's meant to be used, and it, you know, and if you actually, it's like it's not enough to say, "Oh, this is a Shanghainland formula. It's for external illnesses. I can just use a Shanghainland formula." It's like we have to know what Shanghainland formula at what time for what person. Uh, yes, and uh, the main remedy that the government recommended, Liu Lihong in his two-hour report, is this Qing Fei Pai Du Tang, while he is, of course, again, mentioning that because he doesn't want to insult the government. Uh, um, he's actually praising that formula, but he himself, of course, used something different since he had the freedom to do that in the particular ward that he was working at, which was actually a hemorrhoid ward in hospital number eight in Wuhan that was... Uh, we uh, outfitted to house over 20 coronavirus patients. Uh, and so this government remedy is Qing, called Qing Fei Pai Du Tang, which means clear heat in the lung and expel toxin decoction, is basically a combination of Ma Xing Shi Gan Tang, Wu Ling San, and Xiao Chai Hu Tang. So incredibly complex. You've got Tai Yang Yang Ming, Xiao Yang all in one. And he said that's usually a mess and would be sort of the hallmark of somebody who doesn't know what they're doing because there is no clear direction. But he says the hallmark of this disease is this kind of hoping, bing bing and liangan uh, situation. And uh, therefore, this kind of a direction, which is complexity from the get-go, whether we actually use this kind of a remedy, this exact remedy or not, as a fa, as a method, as a way of thinking, uh, we need to uh, keep in our minds. And whether we then end up using a fever school or Shanghai remedy, or whether we use different patent remedies together, it doesn't really matter. But uh, that's also borne out in the patent remedies we're using from the Classical Pearl series have been at the beginning, in some way or another, other than the Shaoyang remedies, the thunder and the lightning pearls have been involved and they are not normal for Taiyang flu situations because they are 15, 16 herbs that you use for complex parasite syndrome where both inside, outside, you know, deficiency, excess, different meridians are all involved at the same time. 
and they uh, contain these kind of fangxiang tobiao herbs. They're like jinninghua, baizhi, zisuye, fragrant to kind of literally fumigate sage uh, the body with these kind of things. And that's why they may also be a good way of uh, in, in small amounts for the uh, preventative stage. And coming back to that, that's why I personally also feel comfortable uh, to have people Normally, we my my front desk staff does not give out uh, herbs to people we haven't personally see seen, but because we've seen so many people with similar uh, symptoms, and we know that people drive themselves crazy with anxiety and fear. Yes, it's it's just I mean the fear itself is epidemic. That is uh, the the worst thing. Yes. And it's so easy to conjure something up. Am I really feeling sick? I've got a little headache. Is it, oh, is it the headache? And so just simply to have something at home, like we've been sending uh, essential oil thing, massage oils with like 10 different things like eucalyptus, tea tree, niaoli, uh, rosemary, etc., um, that we find particularly useful um, for this kind of Wuyin Liu Qi situation we're in at the moment to just rub the whole family on the chest and neck every day can only be useful, number one. And then in small amounts, kind of take these kind of function tobia, or even if you're not taking it, just having it in your home is already anxiety calming. And uh, that's why I've given the green light to my front desk staff to uh, send out these packages by the hundreds, really, completely overriding principles that we normally have where we don't allow patients contacting the front desk staff and say, send me this, send me that. They say, please talk to our doctor first. Uh, And then after having an intake, then we can, can send you something. Beyond herbs... For us as practitioners, what else can we do to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of other people? I think the most important thing is to keep a level head, stay calm, and not be online the entire time. A book that just came out last year that I think is very well researched is by a former MD medical student specialized in that is uh, bioelectromagnetism and the uh, potential harmful effect of uh, microwaves on the human system. Uh, So we're not talking about regular EMF, but cell phone and wireless and all of this stuff. So what people uh, do in a crisis, especially if they're bedridden, is they they look at their phone the entire time, thereby generating a tremendous uh, microwave field. And what uh, there's an entire chapter in Arthur Furstenberg's book called The The Invisible Rainbow, The History of Electricity in Life. He's sort of, I think, in his 60s, living a private researcher in Arizona. And the whole book is very well documented with like uh, more than 150 pages of scientific research studies in the in the back, very often from other countries that have done more research on this topic, showing there was a whole chapter in there on the flu epidemic and how it concurred with the wide scale introduction of electricity at the end of the uh, First World War and that that contributed possibly to the 
incredible spread of that virus. So, of course, in China, particularly in the city of Wuhan, including in these new hospitals they built, they don't have enough toilets. They didn't have any heating systems, but they had 5G, you know, so you have tremendous uh, microwave exposure for people who live in these uh, urban centers. And what that does from our perspective, it drives, or from Furstenberg's perspectives, it drives, it makes uh, the jump layers faster. So blood-brain barrier, um, lung-heart barrier, it goes deeper immediately, including to the Shaoyan layer, and people get palpitations. Uh, and get irregular heartbeat, get basically what you normally would say, you've got myocarditis now, your heart is inflamed, it's not just your lung. In other words, go online if you need to, but don't be in front of your computer and particularly not your phone that plug your equipment into the wall rather than have your whole house, especially when you're sleeping on wireless. So that's a simple thing that people can do. Secondly, I've told people to... Because, of course, anything you take internally, you are your liver needs to metabolize that. So these, these essential oils, uh, like the ones I just mentioned, you can put in a solution, sort of like a custom-made thieves oil. You can put a little bit of clove and cinnamon, which is in the, the medieval thieves oil for the, that people were wearing for protection successfully during the bubonic plague uh, at the time. Uh, at least based on reports, historical reports, with the addition of tea tree oil and eucalyptus, and you put that at the ratio of 30 drops of essential oil plant per ounce of base oil, like almond oil, or even olive oil works, and then you put that all over your body, or at least your neck and your chest, you can only benefit yourself. You're not going to harm yourself because you're not needing to take that deep inside your body. And then secondly, of course, can diffuse these oils, or if you don't have a diffuser, you take a big pot of water and add like four, five drops of these oils to the hot water, and then it steams into the room. We are constantly doing that. We are still operating, albeit very extremely carefully, by wearing masks and separating people in our clinic, but we could constantly diffusing these kinds of oils. And then, of course, eating, sleeping enough is extremely important because the taiyang, after all, is a prenatal meridian. And so that involves our nervous system, which is the best food for that is sleep. When you say the taiyang is a prenatal meridian, what does that mean? I'm, that's the first I've heard of this. Okay. Um, it's um, the like something that I personally have been researching for the last 15 years or so is the what I call the holomap of the organ networks, which is in essence, you know, if you've got the that yin-yang symbol and you've got yang rising on the left and mm. yin falling on the and expanding on the right downwards, the ancient Chinese during the Han Dynasty used that as sort of a, a template, not necessarily this yin-yang symbol, but that was implied uh, uh, to research the energetics of the year. So you have uh, the 12 months of the year in the cycle, and at the same time, you then put the 12 organ networks of Chinese medicine on that cycle. Like right in the Neijing itself, it says, uh, in order to understand, um, I think in the Ningshu 
14, if I remember correctly, or 11, it says uh, the 12 organ networks of the human body are directly associated with the 12 months of the year. So long before, during the Yuan Dynasty, more than a thousand years later, we have this, you know, the lung channel is active from 1 to 3 a.m., or the, the liver channel, and then the lung from 3 to 5, and large intestine from 5 to 7, etc. And that is, of course, also the order in which the meridians progress into each other. That is the map of the ancient Chinese that the Neijing is also based upon, so that we essentially have the lung in a position that is not just in the five element system, the lung is metal, but the lung is also in a certain way, of course, we know it's earth because it's tying damp earth with a spleen as well. So it's not just metal and earth, but also wood because it is situated in the position of the first months of spring, which is equivalent uh, to what later then was called the time from 3 to 5 a.m. And so the first group of organs, what we see then, if we intertwine the organs that are on this organ clock or holomap, starting with the lung, continuing with the large intestine, continuing with the stomach, continuing with the spleen, and then interconnect them, namely the lung and the large intestine obviously are metal, so we draw a, a, a white line between those two. And then the large intestine and the stomach are yangming, so we can draw a line of a different color between them. Mm-hmm. And then the stomach and the spleen are earth. We draw a yellow line between these. and then, But then the spleen and the heart, other than the meridian connection, there isn't really anything either in the six conformation or the five-element uh, approach. So it connects back to the tie-in lung, so it's to the lung, through the tie-in system. So the first four organs make a group, and then the next four organs also make a group, and that is the heart and the small intestine and the bladder and the kidney, and then the next four organs make another closed loop, which is the pericardium and the triple warmer and the gallbladder and the liver. So we have the 12 organ networks of Chinese medicine basically divided into heaven, earth, and humanity, this triad with very clearly the first group then must be because that they're all working in the postnatal realm, right? The lung and the large intestine and the stomach and the spleen, they clearly are in charge of breathing and pooping and eating and metabolizing all postnatal stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all HOTN things. Whereas the kidney, oh, so let me see if I, if I have this. The kidney does hold some prenatal energy to it. Yeah, not just some, but it's entirely prenatal because there's nothing really more prenatal than jing, right? So we have basically jing qi shen metabolism. So the first group is metabolizing qi in the is postnatal qi. Then the next group is in charge of prenatal jing qi shen metabolism, jing in the kidney, shen in the heart, and then small intestine and bladder is the pathway from kidney jing up the spine all the way to the shen of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so that is then the prenatal group. And so where are the Taiyang meridians? They are in that prenatal group. In that prenatal group. Got it. Okay. And so that's why I'm saying it's a Taiyang. And that's why we know when do we get sick, not necessarily when somebody coughed on us, but when I was stressed out, I pulled an all-nighter, I didn't get enough sleep, 
and I was online all the time. I watched three scary uh, shows all in a row and uh, then cortisol level spiking in the morning at 3 a.m. or so and only getting four hours of sleep and, yeah. and then tossing. It puts a little turn. bit of a dent in the Wei Qi, doesn't it? That is putting a dent in the Wei Qi, particularly in that part of the Wei Qi that is governed by the Taiyang organs. Look at the position of the bladder uh, in the seventh months of the year or the time from 3 to 5 p.m. in the time of the day is directly opposite and forms a clock pair with the lung. And so that's what they both do. They govern the Wei Qi, but one uses postnatal qi, that's the lung, to pump into the surface, whereas the bladder, taiyang, is using prenatal energy to pump into the surface. And so they're doing the same job, but within that job, they're opposite. Okay. Um, I would really love to talk with you more about that on another day. All right. That, that just sounds like a delightful conversation. I would love to dig into that. So uh, anytime, Michael. Well, let's kind of get through the current situation, and then then we can. Uh, All right. Jump into that. How's that sound? Sounds great. Great, um, Heiner. Anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we say goodbye for today? Yeah, really. Once again, just trust in the power of this medicine that even in the most standardized form still does something and trust in your ability to come up with a differential diagnosis. You know, just stick with your bread and butter. This medicine really works. And uh, for both yourself and your family, even assuming the worst case scenario, there is something that you can do. There is something you can do to get it in the first place. There is something you can do to prevent already infected to go deeper into the system and getting worse, right? We were talking about this hospital, about the Sanwu, the three nothings, which is not only no staff infections and no renewed positive positives, but most importantly, I think, positive and having symptoms, but nobody needing to go to this uh, respirator oxygen stage. And you've been trained extremely well, uh, thousands of hours. Uh, we are doctoral level profession. Um, this is an opportunity for our field to move 20 years uh, into the future. Of course, not by going rah, rah, rah and, and saying we can do things that Western medicine can't do, but we can do our part. Mm -hmm. With our medicine, using the basics. Using the basics. So it's not something, and this was the gist of the two hours of Liu Liu Hong's message, just repeated here again. And this is nothing different from anything else. Just do your regular thing and you will be fine and there will be results. Thanks so much, Heiner. Thank you so much, Michael, for setting this up on short notice. I hope that you found today's conversation to be helpful. You know, there's all kinds of articles and ideas on how a certain formula is, quote, for COVID-19. But for me, it's helpful to know that while a doctor may have found a formula that's helpful, 
What's useful for us is not that he or she had success with it, but that we can learn from their way of thinking. So we can better approach any new or novel situation knowing we have a set of tools that helps us to navigate a new territory. And if we're really honest with ourselves, really, every patient encounter is a new territory. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.